Hey, everybody, and welcome to No Story is Sacred. If you've never listened before, basically, we're four siblings who grew up talking about the art of storytelling. Now that we're adults, we're still talking about it, and we're inviting you to join the conversation. I'm Brendan, your best friend and dungeon master. Oh, wait, wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm Pippin, uh, and I am a elven wizard and amazing. <laughs> And I'm Alex, a tiefling rogue gone cleric. <laughs> Still amazing. Right? It made sense given the context that we'll probably delve into a little bit during this uh, podcast. But will we? And Kat got kidnapped by uh, a vampire count. It happens. It does. More often than you think. Or she could be playing her true uh, uh, character, and I write camel. Oh, true. Indeed. See <laughs> camel in the background? That's cat. <laughs> uh, so today we're talking about the D&D campaign module, The Curse of Strahd. So spoilers abound. And if you want specific content warnings about things we may talk about, you can check out the show notes on nostoryasacred.com. The uh, general vampires and us, us, you know, blood and assault, assault on women. And, you know, that uh, kidnapping, cannibalism, consent uh, issues. Numerous consent issues, dying and death and stuff like that. Uh, depending on what we talk about, possibly body horror. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your classic gothic horror stuff. Yeah. Lots of gothic horror. <laughs> now, uh, for those of you who've never played The Curse of Strahd, uh, the summary according to Wizards of the Coast is... Under raging storm clouds, the vampire Count Strahd von Zarevich stands silhouetted against the ancient walls of Castle Ravenloft. Rumbling thunder pounds the castle spires. The wind's howling increases as he turns his gaze tw down towards the village of Barovia. A lightning flash rips through the darkness, but Strahd is gone. Only the howling of the wind fills the midnight air. The master of Castle Ravenloft is having guests for dinner. And you are invited. Please RSVP no later than June 12th. <laughs> no pets. <laughs> <laughs> no pets. <laughs> uh, select whether or not you're going to be having uh, the chicken or beef or uh, vegetarian. The dress code is beach casual. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were expecting like brocade dresses and stuff like that. No, no. Now we're, uh, yeah, no, it's wear beachwear. your sarongs, get your floppy hats. Your flippy floppies. <laughs> your your chainmail bikinis are a okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for the uh, classic, like was it Edwardian swimsuit where it's the matching top and bottom that have the stripes. <laughs> <laughs> for you, stripes perhaps. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, we were going to talk about something else this week, but. Uh, just due to scheduling stuff, Cat uh, uh, wasn't able to make it, so... Because she got uh, kidnapped by a vampire while a camel. We discussed this. <laughs> this happens. But uh, over a year ago, we had actually played this module. I, I ran it, and uh, Pip and Al here happened to be two of the players in it. And yeah, it, it took a while because we did this uh, exclusively online, but we made it through Before the entire cool. campaign. We played it online before it was cool. Exactly. Uh, Not everyone's doing it. But you know what? We we did it because it was a choice. 
<laughs> Choices were made. <laughs> and a lot of people are playing D&D in general right now and doing it online like we did, you know, because of certain Earth reasons. Or and, as the game, as the game crumbs have put it, the Backstreet Boys reunion tour. <laughs> and so when we were thinking, well, what can the three of us talk about? We're like, fuck it. Let's talk about our D&D campaign. Like the cool kids we are. And Hell we, yeah. And we are cool. I mean, we ha- had five gold at start. What? <laughs> hey, well, no, I was generous. I was, ge- I, yeah. I'm not that mean DM type. In fact, I think I was too soft on you guys, especially for a Chris Perkins adventure. <laughs> I know, I know. I only had that little money because I opted for the bag of holding hang out the start. Uh, yep. Well, to be fair, better choice. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Though you can't have been as lenient as I was when my players for the campaign I'm running. Well, the, I restarted the campaign, but when I first did it the first <laughs> time around, uh, people got confused. So they had their starting equipment and starting gold. Oh. Which usually you can have the choice of getting the gold and then buying whatever you want within that limit. Or you can choose your uh, starting equipment as laid out in your uh, class. Uh, but my players got confused, and so they had both. And because I'm a good person, I let them keep it. Ooh. It was well, also one of my players' birthdays, so it was like, fine. Well, I guess before we kind of start talking about the story of this uh, module, like, when, when it comes to how I run games, Pip, mm. I try to always make it so that, like, everyone's having a good time. I never understood the mindset of, like, the adversarial GM, like... Oh, I gotta, you know, really put the nails to, to my players cause screw with them. It's like, nah, this is a collaborative storytelling adventure. Let's have some fun here. I think it's a, a style that some players appreciate. Those who appreciate, like, those who want to challenge their skills, I guess. But- I guess, yeah. Well, Alex can disagree with me if he wants, since he's also one of my players, haha. Uh, but I don't view myself as adversarial, except for those times when I say I'm going to kill my players. <laughs> no, you're only adversarial to us when our roles start getting really shitty. <laughs> In which case, you need to know that shitty roles happen and there are consequences. And that, uh, <laughs> and at that point, we can start arguing about what constitutes distance for fro for thrown items. It was, <laughs> oh my god, it was a story up. <laughs> <laughs> there was a fucking partial wall, and you missed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, we're not we're not talking about like the, the botching the roll. We're talking about oh, even on a good roll, still not being able to lob something up when you have, have like eighteen strength. <laughs> you were short a story up. It wasn't even. It was about visibility. That person had three quarters cover. And that's why you don't do who uh homebrews who's for her uh on a DM's first time. <laughs> None of this is Ravenloft. <laughs> no, it isn't. But you know, it's funny hearing you guys bicker because you know what? Al's probably been stewing on that still oh. for months. Oh, yeah. comes up every fucking time. <laughs> oh yeah. It's not an actual argument because let's do I don't Oh yeah. I've discarded that character because also I've started to find him annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, let's, uh, let, let's talk Ravenloft here because, uh, Curse of Strahd here happens to be kind of a revisit of 
the classic Ravenloft module, which was a second edition D&D module made back in like 1983. Yeah, Strahd Zerovich is almost as old as Dungeons and Dragons itself. Which is a wild thought. <laughs> yeah, uh, like every iteration of D&D so far has had a version of Strahd in yeah. it. Kind of your classic lawful evil total bad dude that you just love to hate and as a dm you love to have him just show up and just mess with people oh, yeah. so like uh when my players had first entered into the land of barovia one of the first encounters i had them have happen was they just saw four empty graves with them with their own names on the tombstones it's like a little welcome gift from the count yeah, I wasn't there for that part because I joined partway through. Uh, you did, which was a fun way to try and figure out. Uh, <laughs> Listen, teleportation accidents happen. They do, and then you get caught in a demiplane. Whoops. Did any of us at that time, were any of us those players cool enough to go, this is, is my hole? No, nobody did. Nobody jumped in. No Junji Ito references. We failed. Ah, well, Wait, you know. They were open graves, right? Not uh, yeah. covered? Okay. They were open. Because they're closed, I'm like, well, let's loot the graves. <laughs> what if I have cool stuff in there? Because, like, as, as a DM running this game, this is basically every single gothic horror trope that you can imagine it probably shows up somewhere in the module. Like, like we were kidding about the uh, various uh, oh, content warnings at the beginning of the episode. Cannibalism, for instance, comes up in the form of dream pies made from children because we got to have the classic horror fantasy story. You know, like uh, uh, kids being made into baked goods. Uh, baked meat pies with children's th- thighs for which to feed the fairies. Uh, or night hags in this case, but uh, as it goes. still. <laughs> but yeah, okay, wait. So I think I think we need to talk about the basic plot of- I guess. Uh, Might as well. There's this guy, if one wants to define him as a guy. There's this vampire. Uh, Count Strahd von Zerovich. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and back when he was human- he had some parents, uh, an older brother, and a girl he had a crush on. I believe uh, Sergei was his younger brother. Was he his younger brother? I thought so. Yeah. I can always check again, but just the good brother. <laughs> yeah, his more, more handsome, more talented, uh, nicer, charismatic brother. Yep, <laughs> that everybody liked. <laughs> uh, including the girl he had a crush on. And... And rather than move on... Yeah... Uh, you know, wish the happy couple uh, joyous felicitations and try to find, you know, his own happiness. He kills his brother and the girl he loves jumps off uh, the highest tower. Explicitly to get away from him. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even necessarily, I can't live without my uh, husband or anything. It was all like, no, fuck you. And it just so happened that the whole entire killing of his brother and then being struck down by his own loyal servants... Uh, happened to complete the evil ritual of becoming a vampire because he made uh, agreements with the dark powers of Barovia and yeah, hey, vampire lord, live forever. Woo! But turns out there were strings attached. Yeah, now his kingdom, Barovia, is uh, a demiplane uh, that no one can escape, including their souls, I guess. Uh. A demiplane for those not familiar, or it's basically like a parallel universe, but like very, very tiny. So like just the size of the valley that contains this uh, couple of villages. And 
uh, every once in a while, he kidnaps uh, a girl from uh, around town, turns her into one of his brides, uh, and every once in a while, I guess, I can't remember whether the girl he likes, uh, who totally has a name, which I totally Tatiana. remember. Tatiana. Tatiana. I can't remember if she actually is reincarnated or if mm-hmm. the girl in uh, the story who we're trying to find is just looks a whole ton like her. It's explicit that it's like a reincarnation kind of thing. It's the spirit cool. being reborn. Remember, the souls can't leave. <laughs> that's true. That nobody leaves, including the dead. Isn't it, it pointed out that like that's that since there's like a finite amount of souls that there are those who are aren't born with the with any. Correct. There are just hollow bodies, more or less. They have like they're described in the book as having like muted emotions. It's like they're just pretending at being human there was an optional scene that i'd never had a chance to really do in which like a new child is born and it's born without a soul and like the midwife just knows like ah without a soul shame <laughs> i thought we did do that one yeah you did yeah, oh we good. did oh hey <laughs> there was a lot of material that was when uh certain players finally felt fit to explain to me the whole soulless the dead don't leave thing <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Certain other players were bad about exposition. It's true. <laughs> and I wasn't going to give it to you. What, as a DM? Ha! But yeah, so everyone's trapped in Barovia, up to and including Strahd. Yep. More so him than basically anybody else. Because <laughs> the whole, the curse of Strahd, it's vague over whether it is Strahd's curse uh, on the land or the land's curse on Strahd. Well, he's kind of, it's, it's explicitly stated in the book, like, I am the land, the land is me. So it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. Yeah, because he's also <laughs> cursed to never get the love of his life, even though he's not the love of hers. Yeah. So far in the backstory, every single time the young lady has been reincarnated, even if he manages to successfully kidnap her, a tragic fate always happens. Yeah. Always. Because gothic horror. That's just how it do. Because no matter what you do, she wants nothing to do with you. Yeah, even the soul is like, dude, no. No, 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 no. You're you're not a choice when you are alive. What makes you who think you're her choice now? <laughs> so the adventurers come in, uh, they do their detective work, beat some baddies, uh And well, uh one thing I should point out early on in the story. At least in the game, this is like randomly selected, but you can also cheat and pick however you do. But early on in the story, you're, you get given three plot coupons that you're going to have to collect in order to really effectively kill the bad guy. Mm. Hmm. So that gives the players early on like a set of tasks to accomplish because yes. at about the same time, you also run into the latest reincarnation of the young woman. Uh, in the form of Irina, who you're given the task to take to the other side of the valley at a cathedral for safekeeping, because Strahd found out just recently that she is the reincarnation, and therefore... Wants her bad. Yeah. But he's a vampire lord, so he's kind of patient, but also kind of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. And so the players, it is assumed, offer to help. And we did. That time. With a little bit of discussion. I mean... We we named a price. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, as as all stalwart adventurers do. Oh man, 
in my other campaign I'm playing, my player straight up asked me, what would we do if we just choose not to help this person? I'm like, I don't know. The campaign ends five minutes after you started. Uh, so a sidebar for anybody who's wanting to run adventures, before you run like a module or something like that, just have an honest discussion, like a session zero with the people you intend on playing with. Like, hey, I'm going to be running this adventure. We're going to assume that you're going to play through it. Come on. <laughs> For this, in, in this particular instance, we were trying to give Volo shit. <laughs> of course. In, in this particular case, because we were restarting it, uh, they knew that, spoiler alert for Waterdeep Dragon Heist, they knew that Volo wasn't good for the money that he was promising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is why don't spoil yourselves as players. <laughs> and I was like, you metagame these pieces of shits. <laughs> I, I wasn't metagaming. Some of y'all were. <laughs> I was like, you're not getting more money from him. He doesn't have it. <laughs> I got an autograph, Pip. You did get an autograph. And that is worth less than the paper it's written on. It's true. <laughs> At the moment, you never know. Yeah, true. True. <laughs> Sorry, Pat to Ravenloft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is assumed that the uh, players in this module offer to help. If not, they could say no. And then Irina just gets captured and then probably shows up later in the story when you eventually just wind up at Castle Ravenloft, which is the final area of the game. Which is creepy as fuck. Yeah, oh, oh the castle. Like, it's basically, like, the prominent uh, location on the map. Like, it's, like, the highest point, aside from a creepy uh, Amber Temple. And... Fuck that temple. It's It's a pain to run it, just because, like... It's like a maze and it's complicated to figure out even as the DM. So like there's like traps that put you on different floors. There's all sorts of crazy crap. But I went back after we finished playing uh-huh. to look to see what all we missed, basically. Because mm-hmm. there is a ton of shit. Yeah. And also to sort of piece together what I missed at the beginning. And just going through Castle Ravenloft, there were entire characters we never met um, yep. that creepy jester, his ghost and the doppelganger that killed him. You know, there were some, you know, objects that would help you, some that would kill you. You can't tell which one's which. It's just intense. I am super glad we didn't run into that jester, by the way. Oh yeah. No, creepy as hell. Um, and, and, and not for lack of trying. It's just you guys never went to that part of the castle. Yeah. No, we did everything no. right. Though to be fair, uh, there are certain, there are certain times like, like we were like, our objective is over there. Do you want to try going over there? And we're like, quick thought, no. <laughs> and we move on to our objective. One second thought, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. <laughs> or just like you open the door to a room and there's just like a creepy uh, doll in the corner. It's like, nope, not touching that. Nope. Close the door. <laughs> so sort of shout into the room, Count Strahd, are you in there? No? Okay. <laughs> Come play with us. Nope. Nope. Click. Were we able to avoid the, whatever was in the in the bathtub full of blood? I think, because that was the th- one of the things I looked up, because I was freaked out by it. Hello, my name is Pippi McDonald. I find, I, I don't like horror, and yet I still find myself doing it. Um, <laughs> But no, that was just, that was just a creepy illusion thing. Oh. Yeah, oh, that's right. It wasn't anything. Yeah, it was just meant to mess with you. Cool. Because there are some things that were not just there to mess with us, and some things that actually caused us harm. And it's a mental thing of to build up the paranoia. Yep. <laughs> and it's great running it as the DM is like, oh, what are they going to do? 
<laughs> should should we describe uh, our characters a bit? Uh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Like, uh, so so you guys played through this module. Pippin came in a little bit late, but still, yeah. Uh, I briefly like uh, there was Pippin and myself, Oof, and three other players. One was a human and bard with a heart of darkness. There's a background. Yeah, and and kind of played it uh chaotic neutral I, question mark a cha- chaotic weird <laughs> chaotic murder hobo pretty much yeah chaotic chaotic <laughs> that time he shot like we were like don't shoot the ravens dude <laughs> yeah so so I, I i tried being as clear as i could uh during a certain encounter earlier on in the adventure like yes the ravens are indicating this and trying to be helpful and then he shoots one i'm like okay it had an AC of nothing. It had no hit points. <laughs> and then he started wearing it. Yeah. Someone took the wrong message from the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Pretty much. Uh, but that did have consequences for early on in the adventure, and you guys had to kind of earn respect again. <laughs> yeah, we, we basically had to save the, save the raven whatever people. The, the were-ravens. So it turns out, in this module... There is a family of were-ravens who are basically your only reliable allies in the entire valley. I wasn't there for that part, but I'm already annoyed. <laughs> we had to save them um, for them to like actually like not hate us anymore. Pretty much. That's not the point. Uh, that's not the point. But that that's our bard. He's our, you know, wild card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically like Charlie Day and uh, It's Always Sunny. Yeah. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I'll touch on some of the resolution toward the end of the story that ended up happening, mostly through his orca- uh, machinations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also had a dragonborn paladin. Yep. And then... A, a dwarf ranger. Yeah, with a musket. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Uh, that was fun. He was pretty much playing him as a... Kind of kind of as Aragorn, but short. <laughs> short of Gorn. Yeah. Really handy in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And then, and then you. Yeah. I, I played a, uh, a tiefling rogue uh, who, as part of his backstory, is wearing a bunch of, of priest robes to grift the fuck out of everybody around him. <laughs> so, so it made the irony of your character story pretty fun over the course of the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, basically, when I was building a character, Herbert, I was like, as part of your character's background, do you want the uh, uh the robes he's wearing to be that of the Morning Lord? I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is where a DM can be kind of tricksy with how plot development can happen because the Morning Lord is hap- happens to be the uh one popular deity in the valley. <laughs> yep. No, and. Like, as part of his background, and he had the acolyte background, and so basically, as I explained it, he went to priest school, and it didn't stick. <laughs> also, for those who've watched uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, you get the joke. <laughs> but was what was fascinating about your character, though, um, yeah, and as, as part of the uh, relationship between DM and player, you know, you kind of have, like, off-session uh, d- discussion every once in a while, like, where do you see your character going in five years? Uh, no, um <laughs> Now, where do you see your character going as, like, because, like, we start off early levels here, so, like, kind of fresh in your career, more or less, or in your character's experiences. So how the world is affecting you can kind of change how you are. And so what I thought was interesting is that 
by the end of the campaign, you had actually taken a couple of levels in cleric. Yep. But not necessarily, uh, of the, the dawn or life or anything like that. No, we kind of talked about it. And it's like, oh, how about fortune? Yep. <laughs> Which is a lot more roguish. Yeah. Trickery domain. Let's just go with that. <laughs> and like, yep. And uh, like, and like, it allows you to make essentially shadow clones. So that means I get advantage all the time and can backstab all the, all I want. Like, and the answer is no, not all you want, but yeah, most of the time. <laughs> when, when you need to, which is always handy. Yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting that you were like one of the few people that could wield the plot coupon of the Sunblade, which, hey, against a vampire, <laughs> that's mighty handy to have. Yep. Also, it was a dex weapon, and I only had daggers, so yeah, I need something. Yeah. I need something a bit to do that does a bit more, bit more damage against a vampire. <laughs> yeah, and that stung. That that hurt the guy in the final battle quite handily. <laughs> uh, but- I played a wizard whose specialization was blade singing, so she had a sword, and she, despite being you know a wizard and made of glass, would go head to head with monsters because. That's cool. And she's a librarian, and she had a familiar who was a rat named Sweetie. <laughs> Your uh, blade singing AC ended up being higher than the higher than the paladins. Oh yeah, if I did it right, I yep. could have an AC in like the twenties, <laughs> which was quite frequent. And then like the one or two times when I'd actually managed to freaking hit you, it's like shield. It's like damn it. <laughs> well, to be fair, it's with the shield. I think that I could get into. The twenties, yeah. Because yeah. I think I could add my intelligence and I could add my dex, which got me up into like the high teens. And then with the shield, uh, I'd get into the twenties. I think is how it worked. But the yeah. thing is, if you managed to hit me, I'd go down <laughs> almost instantly. It was kind of amazing. It would definitely take like two hits. Usually, sometimes. I recall one time when I had an invisible demon. Yeah, that smite the heck out of you. <laughs> That, that was, a lot. <laughs> as a DM, that was cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> or I still you, hate the Emperor Temple. The or, Emperor Temple can yeah. bite me. <laughs> yeah, which is also just cast fireballs at her. Eventually, one of them will hit. Eventually, yeah. Uh, well, you walk out unscathed, you fire resistant fuck. Fire, uh, <laughs> fire resistant, <laughs> fire resistant and evasion. <laughs> no, my favorite part. What are you saying? I could dodge fireballs? When we're through here. You won't need to. <laughs> uh, my favorite part of the Amber Temple was convincing you to let me, <laughs> you really shouldn't have, uh, let me make a scroll. In hindsight. For Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, I shouldn't have, but it sounded like a cool idea. And one of my tenants, as I said early on in this very podcast was, I want to have, you know, fun by proxy. And it's like, no, nah, you come up with that idea. Sure. Screw it. Why not? <laughs> and you had to roll for it. You had to roll to make that, uh, scroll happen. Yeah. You had, like, that was like, like what? Three separate roll holes? Yes. Or something like that. You had to find sunbeam and then you had to a roll to, uh, to transcribe it using the, the magical apparatus there. And then, cause, yeah. If I remember right, the, 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 the thing I kind of house ruled in was the scroll creation table. Like, I don't think that was actually in there. If I remember right, but I don't remember anymore. It's just I remember when I was reading through it after. It's like, oh, you really shouldn't have let me get away with this. <laughs> no, uh, so uh, the Amber Temple is one of the final uh, areas in the module. Very difficult uh, encounters. 
And it's basically supposed to be like, tempt the players with power. Like, there's a lich there that is friendly, and all he wants to do is give you power. <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah, go for it, dude. It's great. And like, <laughs> By the way, did you meet the dark entities in the basement? They want to make deals with you. Yeah. What? Like, and if you ask, like, but what about if we want to do this? And he's like, I don't remember. And that was when we all decided, as a team, mine is the bard, to not help him remember <laughs> it's like the only thing stopping us from uh, total destruction is his bad memory or total temptation because mm-hmm. <laughs> like so the way i kind of like uh the reason why i kind of house ruled that in at least the the scroll creation part I, I had a role be requisite there just to make it somewhat fair was as i was thinking about the history of this place and the fact that it's basically set up as like this magical sanctum slash hogwarts if it was also a prison yeah and pretty much a demon making machine kind of yeah say you're a group of wizards and you make a stronghold which is badass in and of itself because usually wizards are kind of like solitary people kind of assholes hey uh <laughs> but say they actually get together like and make this place that is housing like the baddest darkest powers in the cosmos as like a jail you're pretty sure that the uh, bindings inside will hold, but you're also wanting to make sure that nobody on the outside can basically break in during a siege. So you have this stone library that houses, as written in the book, every single spell in D&D. Like, it's, it's explicitly stated, like, every single spell book is there. That was a tempting thing for me. Yeah, that's it's supposed to be. You could spend, like, years reading every single book and learn all the spells, which is why some people become liches in that place. <laughs> when it's, here's the thing. When lichdom is described like that, just wanting to learn all the things, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And then you, yeah, yeah. And then you look at what the ritual holds to becoming a lich are. And like, oh, oh. <laughs> you have to murder. I guess it's not worth murder. <laughs> uh, and it's not just, you know, oh, hey, there, is that a dead body? Mind if I, I have a few parts that's like, no, 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 you have to uh, be the, the one who's doing the killing. Knowingly and willingly. A- anyway, like, so you have this library, and I figured if you're a group of wizards with this library, you probably want to make sure that, like, you can basically ready defenses in short order. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> magical Xerox that makes uh spell scrolls. Sounds like something a group of wizards would do. Yep. Yeah. Especially if they're trying to defend a place. Oh, I miss my magical Xerox. It was so great. Yeah. Well, if you tried removing any of that equipment from the room, it would basically break apart like, uh, instantly it would crumble to dust. But you guys never tried that. Uh, basically, not to backseat DM, uh, a thing that worked out for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, is you shouldn't have let me do a spell that was specifically a higher level than I could cast. That's true. Nah, uh, but the thing is, it sounded like a cool idea. It was a really so. cool idea. <laughs> like, I I could have made the final battle a little bit harder as a consequence, but also, this is where the uh, mechanics of having to play online really come and bite you, because when you have, like, two-ish hour chunks to play in, you don't want to have multiple two-ish hours dedicated to one fight because mm. uh strad played correctly which is my my own admission here because again i wanted to save time because we were kind of coming to the end of the session uh, and first our paladin had to go to see again <laughs> yeah actually literally it was like the last night he could play uh 
he basically would have melted into the walls, gone to a completely different room in the castle, and you'd have to like go running around finding him, potentially running into reinforcements and stuff like that. All the while, he's healing. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, like the thing is, like sunlight itself is like a major weakness, but also like the sunblade was doing similar effects to him, so it wasn't too crazy. It's just you happen to have a magical laser pointer. <laughs> I did. It was so great. Sunbeam is a great spell. Everyone should take Sunbeam. Hindsight, I probably should have had him cast, like, max level counter spell against it. Because the dude also has, like, an intelligence, like, superhuman intelligence. Yeah. So you can kind of get away with doing that. What were his uh, epic feats, anyways? Or uh, Oh, lots of them. <laughs> uh, let me look it up. Uh, so it takes up an entire page. For those who want to, who are, are not wanting to play straw on now, close your ears. <laughs> His big thing is that he's a spellcaster and a shapeshifter and a vampire. <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, he can summon creatures. He can charm you, which, yeah, but as soon as, like, I charmed one of you that one time, the bard player was like, oh shit, counter charm. As every single encounter from that point on, I start playing my counter charm. I'm like, I instilled paranoia. Hooray. Good job. Is it bad that now I want to play uh, Curse of Strahd with uh, my players? Go for it. I can send you the book sometime. Or you can get the online module, which might be easier. <laughs> that was my thing I learned about running this online is while it's annoying to, you know, pay a large chunk of money for like the pre-built adventures on like one of the role-playing websites – Having all those resources pre-made and like pre-configured, oh, oh yeah, just makes life so much easier. If I were to play it again, I'd prefer to do it with the uh, with my fighter character, Antonio Bartucci. <laughs> <laughs> he would actually fit in thematically with like the gothic horror thing because it's very kind of like European horror tropes. Oh yeah. Also, it's consistent with his uh, background. Oh, it randomly wind up in a demiplane? Yeah, sure. He, he's from straight up Italy, yeah. And he got on a, a ship one day, yeah. And, and when he got off, he was somehow in, uh, what's the plane of the D&D setting, setting again? Uh the, uh, the material plane. The, the something realm? Whatever realms? Uh, forgotten realms? Yeah. Oh, the forgotten realms. Yeah, he, he got on a ship one day, and, and when he was, he got off, he was on the, in the forgotten realms. I mean, it happens. Like you do. It's more common uh, than you think. Yeah. It really, really is. So let, let's talk about, like, uh, what you guys ended up doing in this world, because you guys did some weird shit. <laughs> well, I cheated. Uh, by getting well, yes. Which, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't do again. I'd probably keep the difficulty the way it was. Oh, yeah. I'd never let my players get away with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm much more a rules as written kind of girl. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I, I hadn't really you know, run a pre-built module before mm. like that. So like anything I've done in the past has typically been like homemade modules and stuff like that. Yeah. The one thing I liked about fourth edition was that it was super easy to make encounters and entire campaigns like really quickly and easily. Cause like everything was balanced mm. really meticulously mm. to its detriment though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I'm super proud of, of doing was that time when we got Strahd's, uh, journal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, snap. And over the course of it, like, we're like, we really need to hold on to this. But the person who's carrying it is, again, the bard. Because he's the one. Of course. Well, he's the one who found it. 
bards be like that. Yeah. It's like- she says, as a person currently playing a bard in a different campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and so, okay, let me borrow it for an evening. And then I got out my, so far in the campaign, unused forgery tools. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then I rolled a critical. Yeah, you did. I'm like, that's probably sufficient enough that he'd be fooled briefly. And sure enough, (laughs) I'm now remembering this encounter because that was fun. (laughs) It's like, give me back my, my journal. I was like, okay, okay, here you go. Uh, And then I, then I like rolled successfully on my deception. Yep. Rogues, man. My Christmas was shit, man. Actually, was my Christmas shit? I forget. No, it wasn't. No, it was pretty okay. decent. I forget. I forget what it was. You had a pretty balanced character loadout. Yeah. And here's the thing. <laughs> I told, told you during when I was making it that I'm actually just going to fill it with a ton of insults about Strahd. Yep. <laughs> but the cover and like first few pages were spot on identical. Yeah. So anyone giving it a casual glance would be fooled. <laughs> Just over pages full of Tatiana doesn't love you. Tatiana will never <laughs> love you. In Stradvonservich's <laughs> handwriting. Yep. And, yep. And, and like, Sergei is so fucking cool, guys. I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. And just like, I want to be Sergei when I grow up. <laughs> and so I made him mad at me. Yeah, because this was the, your first time at the castle, and you basically escaped with, like, uh, uh the hostages. Yeah. It was a rescue mission at that point. And, yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, about how long would it take for Strahd to kind of casually return to his study and look over his, uh, his tome that he had lost for several years? Yeah, it'd probably be... Maybe like half an hour-ish, you know, relax with a nice bottle of red. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah. Uh, no. And opens it up and it's like, Tatiana will never love you. Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> and then he threw a lightning bolt at us. Yeah. Because uh, there's actually a separate encounter in the book, Al. Like, I, I wasn't just making that up. Yeah. There's actually a separate encounter in the book that can happen where, like, you take Tatiana to like, or to take Irina to a magical stream and she ascends to the heavens and all that. It's weird. You prevented her from doing that. So it never occurred, but like Strahd can literally just call lightning on a space in Barovia <laughs> while being super pissed. Yep. <laughs> and I think I kind of included like ominous language leading up to it too. Like the sky around you started turning red. And <laughs> I were- and we were in a cart going, must go faster, much, much faster. And that's how I was able to, uh, go, am I noticing this? Do I notice this? And like, and like, and you said, yeah. And like, cool. Uh, that means I can use evasion. And like, <laughs> and so I was able <laughs> yeah. to, duh. I still took damage. Yeah. But still, you reduced it, which yeah. is good. <laughs> I, and I think, not to toot my own horn in Alex's moment, but I think in our, race out of the castle in the in the aftermath in in the cart uh i did manage to pull off some cool shit like throwing fireballs to uh keep the uh strahd's backup people from catching up to us and either i slowed them down or i hasted the carriage yeah it was uh the five it was the fifth edition chase rule so it's like everybody can do contributions to aid the escape hmm. uh, i'm just saying i aided pretty well 
Yeah, teach a wizard fireball. That's the solution to everything. Ah! It solves. I, I still remember in a separate encounter when you guys got ambushed by werewolves. <laughs> oh, man. So this one time we were in a tower that had an anti-magic field. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we were surrounded by werewolves who wanted the guy we were with because he was a monster hunter or something. Um, yep. And uh, we were surrounded uh, and they were all like, give up the old man. And so I shouted back, surrender or else. And then I took a step out of the anti-magic field and I hold fireball at them before they could respond. <laughs> Just really hammer, <laughs> hold the, hammer home the or else thing. And then I took out all the wolves and the werewolves got scared of me. <laughs> yeah, you guys got lucky with that encounter that like, you didn't get cursed with like canthropy. I think there were a couple of times when they landed hits and that would have been bad. I think either we had the scroll for counter curse uh, or I just straight up had not counter curse. Yeah. But yeah. Counter and curse. I think our paladin had a uh, passive uh, that uh, uh, granted us. Uh, well, immune to, to a disease, but not curses. Yeah. Uh, also, as a DM, if you really wanted to dick with uh, players in that regard, you could be like, well, that would be the case for lands outside of Barovia. Dun, dun, dun. But you don't want to dick over too much because no. then you kind of remove agency from your players. It's like, oh, then why did I take remove curse? Come on. Yeah. But like one thing I would have done if you didn't have remove curse prepared, and this is a fun kind of dick move as a DM that you can do just to mess with players because, hey, it's still a fantasy horror setting. It's like, oh, you'll prepare that the next day. You know, this is like me being strawed here. Well, I am the land after all. Snap fingers and all of a sudden that what was a like waxing gibbous moon or whatever all of a sudden rises as a full moon because he can do that. Can he? He is the land. Oh, wow. Wait, no, no, for real. Can he do that according to the module? Uh, you can, you can play with it a little bit. Now he, he has control over this demi plane. He just can't leave it. Yeah. I think that'd be a thing to discuss with the players beforehand. Like, how hard do you want me to go? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you want oh me my. to screw you over if I get the chance? And the thing is, that's just not my style. So I never really did that. I'm like, no, I just want to have these fun, like, gothic horror encounters. Yeah. Uh, what, what were the, some other fun stories? I mean, I I critically failed convincing that girl to leave. Oh, yeah. Way to go. Way to go. Uh, I, like used what rewalls i had available it just didn't it didn't go yep uh what was the name of the uh of the main village oh uh um Vlaki. oh yeah Vlaki. uh there was was Vlaki's first democratic election yeah so that was all you guys like i had to make up so much crap on the spot because of that <laughs> that was all the bard <laughs> yeah now this one like the chaotic weird can kind of have like interesting and new results yeah it was like, okay, you know what? Screw it. That sounds fun. <laughs> you guys basically ended up becoming the village council. Yep. I mean, we won't dwell on the political upheavals that happened due to you guys leaving at the end of the adventure. Yeah. It wasn't our choice to leave. We got on a, we just <laughs> got on a, a magical ship and it turned on and then we didn't. Yeah. That was me kind of. Continuing the adventure. <laughs> moving, moving on to another module. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the end of the adventure. Yeah. Uh, another thing I read about afterwards is the sort of epilogue of what happens 
after you leave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because you're free from Barovia, you can leave now. But it mentions how, actually, after a certain amount of time, Strahd comes back. Always he come. always does. It, like like Buffy says. Like I've, 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 I've seen all your movies. You always come back. Always come back. <laughs> um, and so the land gets cut off again. Um, and not everyone who lived there left when it happened, when uh, they were first free, because, you know, that was their home, and now they were free again. So awesome, we can live our lives here as we were meant to. Uh, but then they get cut off again, and it all happens again. And so that they lose their will to fight even more. Mm. Uh, so that the next brand of adventurers come by, they're going to have even fewer allies to help, because what's the point? They know how this story ends. And I think that ties nicely into how there's a version of Strahd in like every edition of D&D, because he just always comes back. There's no freedom for Barovia. Sad ending. I didn't really dwell into that too much, though. <laughs> I read it, and I was like, oh, shit, that makes a ton of sense. Yep. It's better than the <laughs> Strahd wins ending, so there you go. I don't remember the Strahd wins, wins ending. You are either converted into vampire spawn or just buried in the crypts underneath the castle, and your magical gear is distributed randomly throughout the land and uh, irene has probably turned into a vampire spawn as well before some horrible fate uh befalls her due to you know the whole entire curse thing i mean we do just find shit from random adventurers who came before us yeah yeah and actually uh one thing i was keeping in my back pocket if you guys had made this choice uh we mentioned earlier in this episode how uh there was the amber temple filled with dark powers that uh, I think only one of you had touched, and each one of them offers you dark gifts, and they are pretty powerful things, actually, Yeah, by and large. It offered me a dark gift, but I don't remember what the dark gift was. I'd have to look it up. I don't even remember. <laughs> because I believe I said, no, thank you. Because <laughs> uh, what I would have done, uh, if any of you had actually accepted a dark gift, uh, I totally would have Silent Hilled you. Like... Everybody else leaves except for the one person or people who made the pact. And it's like, everybody else is leaving. And that one person just, you even notice, but all of a sudden they weren't there. And then you cut to them and it's like, there's all this mist around. What's going on? And that's when the Silent Hill theme starts playing. I can't do the... It's fine. Uh, Because when you make a pact with these dark powers... You're now stuck with the dark powers. It's part of the curse of the land. Yep. Strahd can't leave. You can't leave. And I think I remember reading that online. I'm like, that seems like an awesome idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. And there was like another thing in the module where it's like, if Irina makes it to the end of the story, she like ascends up to heaven with Sergei and all that. And it's like, nah, she's her own woman. Just because her spirit like was married to a guy way back in the day. Nah, she's her own person now. Like, she's ready to get back in the game. Yeah. Side note, I just remembered how I believe there's canon queerness in Curse of Strahd. And I believe so, and yeah. D&D modules in general these days. Mm-hmm. In the module I'm running, one of the character descriptions went, is straight up all like, this character uses they, them pronouns. Uh, yep. And I'm like, fuck yeah, they do. <laughs> there, There's this character. You can, his husband is this character. I'm like, yeah! Now they they're doing really good things about that I think so making strides. I mean there's a one of the characters in Dragon Heist uh was a uh, born uh not maybe deaf but she actually uses a uh, a modified form of thieves cant as sign language. Nice. nice. Uh one of the three kids Pippin. 
in Dragon Heist. I'm not sure. I'm even that far reading ahead. So we can talk about it after. Well, when you when you get there. Awesome. When you get there. Awesome. Uh, uh, it's a really cool character flavor. Nice. Uh, and inclusive. Yay. Because, you know, it's everybody's game now. Yeah. I look forward to Wizards of the Coast really fixing the problem with orcs and goblins. Mm. Uh, because the idea of an evil race isn't great. I think it, it's starting to make strides towards that. Uh, uh, like Wild bits Mount. and pieces. Wild Mount, I think, is doing a lot to... Yeah. But it's also a larger conversation to have. And Yeah. Um, I've also seen discussion around the idea of character traits and how some of them, the inherent nature of some of them, is not like that's also kind of problematic. Uh um, but yeah, I, th- I think we could definitely give praise for progress that is happening, though. Yeah. Like I, though the work is never finished. Ah. <laughs> the work is never finished. The battle never done. Man, I need to get the Wild Mount book. <laughs> uh, I have the free one-shot module that was on Roll20. Uh, what's nice. the Wild Mount? Uh, the Adventure's Guide to Wild Mount is the um, Critical Role tie-in. Ah. So it's set in the land of Critical Role. Uh, specifically the continent Wildmount. But there's also crossovers into uh, Forgotten Realms now, too. Yeah, to make it tie in with the regular D&D Meta. canon. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a character that shows up in Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus that was in Critical Role. Oh, shit, really? Arkan the Cruel. Arkan! Oh, I'm gonna kick Arkan's ass. I, Good luck. I do not know. <laughs> I, I, I do not know. Uh, he was played by Joe Manginello. The hottest D&D player. Uh, it's true. And actually, fun fact, I think Joe Manginello is from Pittsburgh originally. Haha. Woo! But yeah, he was on Critical Role playing Archon the Cruel. So I also aware that he is a higher level than I can handle. Uh, and mm-hmm. probably in the mad- module has that stupid Vecna hand. Uh, he does. And I'm aware oh, wait, of- spoilers. <laughs> Here's the thing. The moment he shows up with that hand, I'm going to note too much. Yep. Because <laughs> uh, I'm also aware of some of the shit that hand can do. Like fucking teleport. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he spars for the first campaign of Critical Role. Uh, but he shows up <laughs> and nobody questions, you know, his worship of the evil dragon goddess or the fact that he's an oathbreaker paladin. Everyone's all like, cool. Dragonborn, who hits hard. Hey, life's hard as a dragonborn. We're not here to judge. So none of them saw his betrayal coming. Which they really should have, but they had more things to worry about at the time. Bigger problems. Though, also, to be fair, when it happened, they weren't super shocked. They were just sort of like, well, that might as well happen. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's- Like, it is my goal in life to eventually have a campaign get to that kind of level 20 epic encounter. Yes. Uh, the campaign- I'm running with uh, my group is is a uh, water deep dragon heist, and I'm hoping if it goes well enough, we can go into uh, one that follows after that. Mad Mage, yeah. Uh, the thing is, Mad Mage isn't as story driven. It's a much more hack and slash dungeon crawler. Which I'm not sure if they would like that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't really looked at it myself, but that was the impression I got. Because uh, aside from Alex, they haven't done a ton of D and Ding themselves. Yeah. Uh, so part of it. Uh, it's also giving them other experiences. Yeah. Which is the part of the name of the game here. The name being Dungeons and Dragons. Ah! One of these days I might ask if they want me to come up with just a really big thing for them to fight and they can roll a high level character to see if they can take it down. Oh, that'd be so fun. Just as a gift. So, so my goal 
in life is to have like a level 20 encounter that would basically play like a final boss fight in the persona games because mm. that's like the scale of like truly epic level 20 encounters in which like everybody's decked to the nines and magical gear and potions and fully prepared it's like okay you're ready for the final challenge <laughs> let's kill an evil deity let's go the first campaign of critical role their final boss fight was like fighting in one encounter it was like a five-hour battle. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were also fighting an, like, l- almost literal deity. Yeah. Who was flying and, you know, gargantuan and they had to do shit before they could fight him. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> quickly pull back because you can't kill him because that's also bad. Yeah. <laughs> he had like oh. 10 hit points left at the end. Ah, <laughs> uh, but now that was, I just want to have that kind of encounter happen and Fair. not just be like here's a tarasque ha ha nah nah if i if i ever do a tarasque fight on you guys expect it to be kind of like a shadow the colossus fight <laughs> like you're gonna have to like go running around on its back and like hit a weak spot or something yeah weak quote-unquote weak spot like the magical MacGuffin you have that helps you specifically fight tarasques can only be done on like the back of its neck good <laughs> yeah. luck so, All right. is there anything we can say about Strahd's story as, you know, what does it do well, good, what does it do wrong, what does it uh, do uh, okay? Uh, I, I think one of the challenging things with its story is that it's like your typical damsel in distress story. Now, granted, they do some tweaks to mellow that out a little bit, like they make uh, Irina the the damsel in question a bit more action oriented she's got got a sword she and she knows how to use it but still it's kind of like classic uh classic trope there and not the most interesting one like there's so many more interesting story beats that happen that's like oh this thing okay cool Hmm. i want to play curse of strahd with a girl group oh oh that would be awesome oh that's like a like like an empowering group and all that that'd be kind of cool Let's just Charlie's Angels the fuck out of this. (laughs) We're going to teach this fucker about consent. Oh, man. You're rich. You're okay looking. I'm for a vampire. I'm I'm assuming you you were looking, you were better looking when you were alive. (laughs) Other people in the group just going like, eh. (laughs) (laughs) You had options. (laughs) Oh, man. If they'd forged his diary. Ooh. Oh, I should have. Oh, no, a group of... No, we should have made copies of it and distributed it around Barovia. Oh, man. Oh, that's mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just the emasculate Strahd plan. (laughs) (laughs) Strahd can't get a date. He really can't. (laughs) Wait, 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 guys, guys, guys. Is Strahd an incel? Yes. (laughs) That's exactly what I was just thinking. Like, you could make a whole critique on the whole entire incel stupidity uh, oh man oh god there are probably people out there right now going you know what strahd was right Ugh. Oof. yeah thinking the vampire lord's right reprioritize yeah. hey uh woof uh but what do you guys think i mean you guys played it um i was merely the shepherd i i i feel like it's a campaign that would really benefit from longer than we would have been able to manage uh sessions yeah yeah and uh in person to get really the creepy 
vibe. Because uh, yep. even if you're a DM not trying not to screw over your players, they don't need to know that. <laughs> so if you could just ominously roll things mm. and then just not comment on it. Oh, yeah. And like, it's something that like would really uh, do well with like uh, like a set of forged, forest miniatures. Like just If there isn't a Dwarven Forge uh, Ravenloft, there should be. Ooh. Yeah, like, uh, like, oh man, just the entire early of Strahd's, uh, castle, of, uh, Strahd's castle. Oh god, that would be so expensive, so many unique pieces. Right? But it would look so cool. And it would take up so much goddamn space. <laughs> Alright, y'all, for this encounter, we need to move to another room. Hold on, hold on a second, I have to go, go to my storage shed. <laughs> Here, here's the funny thing, guys. Remember that time when we we found the uh, the model of Strahd's castle of Ravenloft inside mm-hmm. Ravenloft, and we're like, how much of this can we fit in the bag of holding? Keep uh, keep in mind, we had a dragon skull inside. Oh yeah, we needed that one, so we couldn't just drop it. Uh, I'm fairly certain there was a dead body still in there. Why did we have a dead body in there? That's a good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> was I there for that? Yes, you were. God damn it. Uh. Like, just the various relics that we found. Uh, I, if we had died in there, I hope that the bag of holding would have gone somewhere with all the stuff inside of it. <laughs> so that whoever found it would open it up and go like, what the fuck? You know, you know who would have found it? Yeah. It would have been my OC that I made for the campaign. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause I actually did make an original character. This is, this happened after I had had a discussion with the ranger one night and, uh, I made a character called, uh, uh, was it Nedrick Flendirovich? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Who was just the nicest person. And you guys were so suspicious of him. He offered you hot cocoa and local wisdom. And I feel like I liked him. Oh, we liked him, but we didn't trust, we, we didn't trust him for shit. Cause, fair. Cause but, he was, uh, being, he was a nice person. You know who, who are nice people? People with, with motives. <laughs> you know who nice people are? Not nice people. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Good times. Good times. But yeah, he'd get the bag of holding full of random crap. The dead body. <laughs> Actually, no, no, the dead body was was only in there for like half an hour at most. Since like it cuz it was evidence of murder. Or, or at the very least, keeping a dead body far longer than, than you should. Fair. But man, <laughs> what else is there to talk about? Uh, Pip, do you have anything that you'd, uh, actually no, you did. You did the, the Charlie's Angels. Yeah! Uh, yeah! That, or, huh. uh, a Princess Diaries crossover, cause Barovia sounds a lot like Genovia. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you are Princess of Barovia. Oh no. <laughs> I, listen, I love, Mia Thermopolis, but she would not have made it in Barovia. No, she would not have. Are you certain? She may have read something in, like, AP history that would have helped her or, uh, solve that problem. Actually, no, wait. Was Mia AP or was she just in the, in the gifted class as it was the only, uh, study hall that fit her, fit with her schedule? I forget why she was in Gifted and Talented. It might have been because of her writing. Ah, uh, yeah. Either way, in one of the books, she solved the fishing crisis just by dumping a bunch of shrimp into the harbor, and it worked. Because she read <laughs> about it in, like, a book once. Oh. Uh, one thing I also changed uh, from the uh, source material, mm-hmm. uh, Casimir's sister, uh, who got resurrected mm. in the Amber Temple, it was written in the book that 
she was actually you know, it, that she was stoned by uh, fellow elves and it was tragic and all that uh, because Strahd had captured her and they figured they'd take the death before dishonor part literally. Mm. Uh, but it turns out she was all too willing at the time. <laughs> but then also discovered that like over the course of being dead, you know, where you get more enlightenment and all that, that no, Strahd probably would have dicked her over. But I actually had it set up such that uh, she actually made a pact with the dark power that would grant vampirism. Uh, that I had her do a slight of hand check, and you guys didn't didn't pass the check at the time. I was in a different room. Uh, damn it, Alex! I can't be everywhere. I can't have my a unnaturally high passive perception and help you out all the time. Then what do we have you for? You were upstairs with the lich at the time, so I had to keep um, my, I had to keep my eyes on that shit. Yeah. So when uh, when she got resurrected. She kind of cowered and, and hid from you guys. Not sure she was. She basically did like a bunch of like deception at the time to try to play up the whole like, oh, I'm I'm about to be stoned. That's my last memory thing. And during that time, she hid behind the vampire sarcophagus. And yeah, she made the pact. And so when she kind of like ganked her brother at the end of the adventure, as you guys might recall, yep, and then fought you guys, yep. and how you killed her. She's not dead. Oh no, she's not. <laughs> She actually rose like a like a, a short time later again as a full fledged vampire because part of the ritual was you kill family and then you get killed by people that were like uh in some way allied with you. Ah. Hmm. So that was fun. I was keeping that in my pocket as well. This is like a little epilogue kind of thing. Did, or something to come up later. Did we hmm. we reread Strahd's tome by that time, right? Did we know yeah. that was actually part of the ritual? Mm-hmm. Probably. Did you remember at the time? Eh. I feel like y- y'all got Strahd's tome before I got there. About oh, the same yeah, time. Because yeah. I'm not sure I ever really understood what was in there. It was in the same attic that you kind of teleported into, have, if I remember right. Have they already... Not really. No, the bard was kind of keeping it close to his chest. Bah humbug. Indeed. All right. Uh, any other thoughts about this? We We kind of rambled for a while. And just to make it abundantly clear here... We could probably ramble a whole lot more because there's a lot of story to cover. It's it's a thick book and a lot of adventuring yeah. happens. It's a ton of fun, too. And I yeah. killed an angel of the morning, Lord. What of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's more common than you think. Yeah. A fallen angel, let's be he clear. He cu- was cut off from um, any of his horses of power. So it was like, like I, was, it was, I was fighting him with when he was effectively had two, two arms tied, tied behind his back. But it was, yeah. it was right around the time you took those levels in Cleric, though. Yep. It was dramatically appropriate. Like, like I, I tweaked that fight such that it would be kind of like a nice dramatic, like, character moment. And I thank you. Uh, now yeah. it was fun. Right. Uh, but, you know, it might be an interesting game to play in these times, just as like, cause as shitty as the world is in Barovia, Played right, and assuming the DM isn't, like, adversarial and kind of mean, your characters overcome it at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah. And you don't need to Hopefully. go into the epilogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need to dwell on that. What epilogue? It's happy ending. As, it's always happy. As Harry Potter fans like to say, epilogue? What epilogue? Ha. Yeah, like, uh, and, uh, you can probably find, uh, like, podcasts that cover it as well. Uh. I think there's at least one actual play uh youtube or uh, uh podcast that does it uh the high rollers are doing it nice i don't know who they are 
they're another D D online group. Cool. Alex, get on our nerdy level. Watch some actual play D D. Yeah. yeah, come on, man. Come on. Listen. 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 I'll just watch the animatics and that'll be just as good. Eh. Besides, ha. you guys don't watch Dimension 20, so. I do. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Are you my freaking dad? <laughs> like, you're looking at this guy and you're pretty certain. You're 99% certain he's your dad. <laughs> oh, I have a theory about why uh, Chris Perkins makes really hard D&D encounter things. Yeah. Because of the way that he DMs. To me, he seems like an actually pretty lenient, well, rules as written, but lenient DM. Uh-huh. Uh, and is willing to change things based on how things are going. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if he programs things harder with the ex- except- expectation that he's going to, that in actual play, it would get changed in some way. I think that's completely right. Like, uh, for instance, in Curse of Strahd, uh, the earlier mentioned cannibalistic meat pies that are prepared by uh hags uh her name is mrs lovitz yeah (laughs) as written in the book it's three night hags that are way too hard an encounter for the group of at most level five characters that show up there as planned Mm. so like people talk about this online like Depending on how mean you feel like being as a DM, you can make this like a total party kill very easily based on the loadout of what these hags have at their disposal. Very easily. It's like, yeah, try dodging a bunch of ray attacks, jerks, ha, or stuff of that nature. Uh, oh, and now they phase out of reality because they can do that. Um, <laughs> and then cast magic as soon as they bamf back in. Uh, but one thing Chris Perkins did was, yeah, there's three hags, but they're not all there at the same time. Because one's out there selling pies. The others are baking, are baking. Mm. So, like, I think you're very spot on there, Pippin. So, like, you can tweak the difficulty, and I think it is fully encouraged. And if you, as, as part of, you know, listening to this, or, uh, just in general feel like playing a module or running a module, feel free to tweak it and make it fit however your schedule or play style is like make it your own yeah make it your own like in hindsight i probably shouldn't have given pippin sunbeam <laughs> to play with as a single scroll like i probably could have finagled it such that like it dissipated after a single round because it's a scroll shrug i don't you know, know there's ways i could have tweaked that i would have argued the fuck out of that one yeah then i would have like well it was a higher level thing you couldn't have had it in the first place um <laughs> the rules that you gave me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, but like things, I kind of knew going into it that we had only like a few sessions left because again, one of our players was heading out to sea. So I made that call like, okay, let's just make the final encounter a little bit easier so we don't have a four hour plus slog through the entire castle, mm. which mm. I'm sure with some creativity and other spells you use, you probably could have found a way around it. Like, Oh, he went through the floor. I stone shaped the ear of the floor. Now there's a hole. Yeah, Maybe that, that could have happened. I don't know. That happened in the Slayers movie once. Exactly. Good times. Uh, I, th- I think if the, if those characters, uh, continued on, like, I probably would have also made, like, new magic items and stuff like that. Like, half the fun is, like, working with your players to also, like, make new shit. Uh, <laughs> like, I probably would have made, like, as an offer, kind of going with the, uh, uh, the, 
motif that you were going with your rogue character, for instance, Al. Yeah. Like you had in your main hand the Sunblade. I probably also would have made a like shadow dagger for the offhand. Mm. That like uh uh this is just a magic item I want to make happen. It'd probably be way overpowered, but I don't care. But like <laughs> you throw the dagger and then you teleport such that your hand is holding the dagger where it hits. Neat. So it's like you throw it if it hits like the enemy target. Yeah, it, it landed hit, and now you're behind him, so you can now do the attack with your main hand or something. Ooh, that does sound nifty. I mean, that dagger yeah. exists in the first campaign of Critical Role. Oh, does it? Yeah. Huh? The the thing, Whisper, was one of the main artifact things that has a title that I don't remember. Ah, neat. There's also, like, the idea of, like, the shadow snap, again, from snare, uh, from uh, Slayers. Ah. Oh, yeah, that's a, a fun trick. <laughs> hey, you can't move. Because <laughs> your shadow's in place. Light spell. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but man. Yeah, so I encourage you as players, as future DMs, like, hey, don't be afraid to run something. The one caveat to that is as soon as you start running something, you might never not run things again. Uh, but that's the sacrifice we all must make. But feel free to make it your own. I like DMing. I got control of everything. And I got to read ahead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can see the alternate scenarios. You know, it's just a pain when my players know that Volo isn't good for the money. God damn it, you guys. <laughs> well, looking at Volo, who kind of tells you he's not good for the money. Yeah. yeah, but there's a difference between sort of having a feeling and knowing because you've been here before. <laughs> All right. So one thing I want to do real quick as a bonus game here, yeah. because we always have to have a game. Yeah. Yeah. I just had the thought, and I know we did this with the last episode, but I want to do it again. I want to do special appearance by, because you know what? It's a D&D campaign. You can have cameos and pastiches everywhere, and it would make sense. Dips, <laughs> dips, dips, dips. All right. So we're going to do special appearance by where a meta character shows up. Go for it, Pip. Buffy! Nice. I knew it. I knew it. It's the obvious choice, and she would have had this handled. <laughs> because what the, f- I, would, what the fuck does she care? Would you have her be a PC, or would she just show up in the world? I just... Random people show up at Barovia. It's not outside the realm of possibilities for, you know, Slayer presence. Because here's the thing, Pippin. Esmeralda, the Vistani woman, yeah. who's also a monster, sl- monster slayer, mm-hmm. protege of the old monster hunter. Yeah. I mean, player right, she could be a Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like Buffy would have taken one look at Count, von, Count Strahd von Zervich and would have gone like, oh, I know what's happening here. I've met Dracula before. I, I know this. And then she would have killed him. Oh, yeah. She would have done a good job at it, too. Oh, yeah. But would she have been able to make him stay dead? Dead as he possibly can be. Mm. Keeping in mind, she never actually solved the Dracula thing, either. If you go back and watch Buffy vs. Dracula. Because <laughs> uh, he tries to reform, and she's all like, I'm right here. And he, he <laughs> dissolves again. With the assumption that he goes and reforms somewhere else. Like Yeah. And not just like, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I can imagine Xander showing up as, like, a random NPC in the world, too. Ah, Xander. (laughs) Okay. Oh, Willow also would have solved this whole thing. Well, yeah. She would have been uh, copying that on Sunbeam right with you. Yeah, she would have. Basically, someone should play Strahd with characters based off the Scooby gang. Here's a question, though. Mm. Would Willow have uh, been able to avoid temptation from the... uh... The dark powers? Depends on what season, Willow. Season six. No! (laughs) (laughs) 
One might even argue late season five, Willow wouldn't have been able to. Season four? Yeah, probably. That was when she first started getting the taste for it. Sure, but she wasn't super, super... Into it? Yeah. Hmm. There were a few steps. Oh, yeah. Roads to hell and all that. Mm, pretty much. <laughs> right. All right. All right. Right. I'll go next. Okay. Since we've already mentioned it a couple of times, you know who I'm going to bring in? Who? Who? Lena Inverse. Nice. Yeah. Because she's also genre savvy. <laughs> yeah. And oh, she, my God. And, and she would call Ostrad an incel to his face. <laughs> oh, she would. Oh. And then you who's the dragon slave if just to tear his castle down. Oh man, he'd be so pissed. Oh yeah. You just you know, imagine this comedic scene where she does that and he's like covered in the rubble. It's like No, he stoically stands up, some rubble falls off his shoulder. <laughs> and then it's like, you dragon spooker <laughs> or however. <laughs> yes. When when things get serious, would Gowrie with the sword of light suddenly show up? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Gowrie would have solved this. Oh yeah, because he already has the sunblade. Yeah. And he's too dumb to be charmed. That's true. Aw. Oh, I put you under my charm now. Huh? Oh, okay, I guess. Uh, Still gonna fight you, though. What? I mean, that's what friends do. Hmm. That's uh. what Lena says all the time. <laughs> uh, and because might as well have uh, Amelia and Zell there, too. The entire gang. There you go. So you could play through the Curse of Strahd as the Slayer's gang. <laughs> yeah. I, I forget, I don't know if this story's apocryphal, but I read once that, that Lena Inverse versus actually, like, someone on D&D character. I'm not sure. I heard that story as well, but I haven't delved into the internet deep enough to find if that's true or not, but it sounds like a good way to do it. <laughs> like, she is a min-maxer. <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Uh, uh, so that's me then, right? Yep. And, you know, I'm gonna steal from Cat here. <gasps> And I'm going to say Mulder and Scully show up as ancillary characters. <laughs> You're thinking of that episode? Yep. When bad mother, shut your mouth. <laughs> uh. Just imagine Mulder just having a field day and Scully trying to explain every single supernatural thing that happens over the course of the story. It's like, okay, yeah, the, these are meat pies uh, made with human flesh. That's... uh. Yeah, and, and they probably are laced with some sort of uh, psychoactive compound. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, and addictive. Yeah, so she'd, like, totally go science on that. Wasn't well, even real cream cheese, it was light cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they'd handle the vampire lord, but at that point, I wouldn't care. They'd be wizards, I don't know. <laughs> Oh no, the vampire herd would just fuck off and then they'd have to report to the Skinner her while their investigation actually went nowhere. That makes sense. That makes way too much sense. Or they, again, are just a couple of NPCs that the party run it, like, runs into in, like, Valaki, who are currently, like, investigating the area. They're wearing strange black clothing. <laughs> it's like, at first, do you think they're cultists? But no, they, they look like they're on the level. They're just investigating what's going on. They say they got lost. They always say they got lost. <laughs> and they have a strange metal carriage. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to find a place in a country called New Jersey. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's what I'd do. <laughs> Just because, you know what? We're talking kind of fantasy horror. X-Files delves into that all the frickin' time. Oh, yeah. It's true. And, I mean, there's this... I mean, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but, like, you know, like, with the, the hags that were mentioned before, that's a very Sweeney Todd slash classic fantasy set up there with the meat pies. I mean... What's my secret? 
frankly, dear, forgive my candor, family secret, all to do with herbs. Things like being careful with <laughs> your coriander. That's what makes a gravy grander. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, Curse of Strahd. We could go on all day about it, but we won't because, you know, we're lazy. <laughs> yeah, I've I've got other things to do today, like my other D&D campaign. Yeah, you guys <laughs> got to get set up for that. So, uh, Pippin, can you take us out? Yes, let me just open that document again. All right. As always, if you have an idea or prompt to submit, head on over to nostoryissacred.com slash submission. Follow us on Twitter at nostoryissacred or send an email through contact at nostoryissacred.com. Your hosts have been Alex McDonald, Brendan McDonald, Pippin McDonald, and Catherine Crichton. Sort of. In spirit. In spirit. Editing for this episode done by Brendan. Transcript done by Ashley DaCosta. Art by Jay Wolf. Show notes and transcript are available at nostorysacred.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And please rate, review, and subscribe to No Story is Sacred. You can also visit our Patreon page to support the show and get neat rewards at patreon.com slash nostoryissacred. See you next time when we, hopefully, talk about the 2015 film, Jupiter Ascending. Until then... Where no story is sacred, and any story can be changed. I'm Pippin. I'm Alex. And I'm Brendan. And we're No No Story Story is Sacred. Sacred.